Hey sailors, it's starting to heat up outside and that means going to the pool, kayaking, hitting the beach, or just lounging around and enjoying the weather. Tidewaters are your perfect foot companion for all of these activities this summer. Like stepping on a cloud, these sandals are made with high density yoga mats that mold perfectly to your feet, which fits them right into whatever your schedule holds, whether that be exploring, dinner dates, swimming, you name it. Aside from the super cute patterns you can choose from, like animal print, sailboats, dogs, fruits, floral, and many more, you also get amazing lightweight material that's perfect for traveling or just being on the go. The best part is there's a discount for teachers all year round. As my podcast listeners, you can use the code THELOWDOWN for 20% off your order. Follow the link in my show notes to get your own. And stay tuned, little sailors, as I'll be doing a giveaway and a real review of these sandals in my next episode. And we're on. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. And I'm Vincent. And this is The Lighthouse Lowdown. Did I do that right? I think so. It's been a month, and I felt awkward about that. Well, we're in, uh, we're in a new lighthouse, so... We tried to record an episode that was really good about... Two weeks ago, because I have an episode every two weeks for talking mental episodes. It's a lot more often. (laughs) 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 We had a travesty happen that the audio was secretly not recording after 35 seconds. And we talked for 45 minutes. We had a great intro, though. I mean, the 35, that's a great number. That's a good number of seconds, too. No, it's not. A good number of seconds would have been whatever 45 minutes is. So we had had 45 (laughs) minutes that were pretty good really good content um, really interesting story and we had some old fashions going yeah <laughs> yeah and then, and then uh we discovered it wasn't recording so so we, we tried again but all of the energy was gone because of the devastation right. and it was also like ten thirty at night yeah so i had a, you know second a second old-fashioned <laughs> and i had already heard everything so the whole story was like yeah yeah. Cool. Yeah, I know. I know. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, <laughs> incredible. It's wow, wow, wow. Incredible. So yeah. So uh, we'll we'll shelf that one for a later date. Right? Yeah. I try. I started editing it, and it was just too. It was just too sad. So here we are. We've got yeah. a new, new setup again. Uh, this is the third evolution of the studio. Yeah. And also, we have new recording equipment so hopefully the audio sounds better and you noticed yeah welcome to the show okay so i gotta start with my let me get to my notes my um history buoy and today is about lighthouse tenders because we mentioned in the last available episode that harry Clyborne had a lighthouse tender named after him so i want to go over what they are and they're exactly what they sound like (laughs) It's pretty short, but um, lighthouses and lightships are known to many people, but none would be possible without our trusty lighthouse tenders, Harry Clyborne being an example. It usually has one or two masts and is steam-driven or has those paddles on the side. It's a boat. Yeah. (laughs) Don't dampen the name of lighthouse tenders. It's a ship. They're special. Small ship? It varies. (laughs) Yeah, they can be up to, I think, a little bit over 200 feet long. So they can be pretty big. 
I mean, they have a lot of deck space for storage and shipments and etc. So now we don't have lighthouse tenders being built anymore. The last one was in 1939, which is when the Coast Guard took over lighthouses. And I don't know if that has like a connection because under the Coast uh-huh. Guard, they're called buoy tenders. So did they have their own, the Coast Guard had their own boats probably. Yeah, probably. Buoy tenders tend to the buoys because we don't upkeep lighthouses as much and we don't build them, so we don't really need lighthouse tenders. So they tend buoys, haul supplies, conduct search and rescue, and enact law enforcement operations. (laughs) The buoy tenders. (laughs) And then under the USLHS, we've been saying USLS. Which really goes, USLS goes better. The, the H has to be a pause, but it's USLHS. Which is United States Lighthouse Service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, USLS is more lit. Yeah, well, in the olden days, lighthouse was two different words. <laughs> Idiots. Stupid. <laughs> but under USLHS, they were lighthouse tenders, and they towed light ships to station. So wouldn't have, I mean, I'm sure we would have found a way to tow out light ships, but tenders were the way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, they transferred keepers and their families, along with all their possessions, to lighthouses, especially if they were offshore. A fun fact, uh, the district inspector for the lighthouses did his yearly inspection of light stations on lighthouse tenders. It's like, you could use any boat to get one single human out to inspect light stations, but this inspector really just wanted, he wanted to be on the tenders. <laughs> so, so he would... He would use a large, an oversized ship just yeah. to take himself out like, because it's official business, air quotes. Yeah, I'm sure, it, I mean, lighthouse tenders can be smaller, but they're never that small because they have to ship supplies. So he's just being dramatic. Yeah. And the last thing is brings fuel, mail, and supplies and whatnot to keepers that are, what is it, segregated from Isolated. Land. Isolated, say, yeah. yeah. It's a better word. That's why you're here. <laughs> Segregated from land. Segregated. <laughs> I think that, that probably applies. It's just... Uh, Isolated is a little bit more impactful, I would say. Oh, we got Joey appearing. Hi, Joey. Moving on. So the first lighthouse tender was built in 1857. That's pretty a long time ago. And it was called the Shoe Brick. That was the name. <laughs> and the last one was built in 1939, which was called Fur. Okay, what? F-I-R, like Douglas fir. Okay, the shoe brick. Let's start there. Yeah. Name the shoe brick for what reason? It, I think it was a name. I also oh, saw like it spelled sure brick, but shoe brick pulled up more Google makes, results. Makes me think of something super aerodynamic, or I guess it'd be hydrodynamic. Well, I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> it was their first uh, first model. 18, I already forgot. 57. Okay. A little bit, a couple years. It's pretty early, pretty early on. Down to the fur. Although if you think about this, less than 100 years of lighthouse tenders. Yeah. Just a splash in the ocean of history. (laughs) Staying on brand. (laughs) Sorry, had to. So I put the fun example in here. I mentioned it to you, so it's ruined, but everyone else can enjoy the cool fun fact. There was one, uh, one of the earlier lighthouse tenders in 1875 was built, Lily which was 178 feet long, was the first tender that was built for river service, and it sunk in the Missouri River, and the hole silted and formed a lily island. Like, so much silt that built up on the hole of this ship that it formed an island, and they named it Lily Island. That's awesome. Like, it's pretty cool. Lily like a lily pad? Or the name, whichever you're feeling. 
okay, so maybe both. But I just find it ironic. Like, they named the boat because it was for rivers. I guess that doesn't make sense. Lily pads are not on rivers, are they? No, they're in pond. pond More of a, yeah, (sighs) non-current surface. But the boat became an island. Yeah. Although, I have not been able to find a picture of it anywhere. I'm assuming it's just like a foot-by-foot little protruding... Or maybe it's not even coming out of the water. So you don't know where it's at? No, it just says sunk in Missouri River. Found a old piece of paper that they're selling for $110. And it has, like, it's a receipt that a tow from Lily would cost you $8 after she was built. Expensive back then. It is expensive. If you want to tow your light ship or whatever, (laughs) it's going to cost you a whopping $8. $8. Well, if you think $8 is a lot, then the rest of this episode is going to make you cross your eyes. All right, so let's hop right in to our episode. Hey, sailors. I have a small business making stained glass art called Lighthouse Beach Art, and I struggle with making posts for all of my events, shop drops, and boost dates on my Instagram. They just get lost, and they don't really match the vibe of my feed, and no one really pays attention to them. Luckily, I've discovered Upcoming. Upcoming takes your virtual calendar and turns it into an attractive public website to share with your loyal fans and followers. Upcoming simplifies the look of your calendar, so no more multi-day events covering everything on your page. There are beautiful colors and easy organizations, and those are just some of the things that I love about this website. You can sync your calendar to Upcoming straight from Google, Apple, Proton, or Outlook calendar following their easy step-by-step instructions to getting the link. Upcoming is a simple, non-cluttered way to share your small business events with others. Follow the link in my bio to start creating your own for free. What is the category? It is over Standard Rock Lighthouse, which... Standard? Yeah. Standard? Standard. Not standard. No. Okay. Although that is sometimes what it's called because people are um, uneducated. (laughs) Enter me. (laughs) Standard like standard? No. Actually, okay, I'll go in. So the location in its current state is the first little bit I'll cover. It's on Lake Superior, 23 miles away from the nearest land, which is Manitou Island. What was that noise? This is the floor cracking. That's fine. (laughs) Or a haunting. Joey looks pretty alert. Yeah. And... 45 miles from Marquette, which was, is the, the closest populated land. Manitou Island doesn't have a harbor or anything on it, but Marquette has a harbor and also a lighthouse, which I could cover, but I haven't looked up to see if it's interesting yet. And Lake Superior is the largest of the Great Lakes? I don't know. We'll have to look into it. All right. It is Superior, so I think it is. You'd say so? Why don't we look it up? Lake Michigan, sucker. Well, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Welcome to the uneducated side of the table. Lake Superior is the second largest, so I'm interested why they would call it that. All right, moving on. So this lighthouse is the furthest from land in the United States. Uh, so it's pretty hmm. far away. It's 102 feet tall, 29 feet at the base, just the lighthouse, with seven and a half feet thick walls, because they were anticipating it to have a lot of, uh, to get beat up. 18 feet diameter lantern room at the very top with 18 inch thick walls up there. Wow. So it tapers from seven and a half feet to one and a half feet. I I was going to describe what it looks like and I I put like light tan cream stone, but that could just be from age. I'm sure it was probably white when it was built. 
A light tan cream stone with original white tint. But we're in the now, so I'm going to say it's a light tan stone structure, and it has a black lantern room, and cool. it's built on a crib pier, which I tried my damnedest to figure out what that is. And it talks about construction, but it's so mm -hmm. confusing. And they use it a lot in the Great Lakes, so it should be like easier for me to pick it up on. It's like it's described as a foundation pier inside a protection crib, and it's 62 feet wide, concrete encased in wrought iron cylinder. But the way they describe building it is very confusing. And I looked up pictures, and I tried, but I can't describe it more than what I have in these notes, unless you know what it is. <laughs> that is a, a quiz for the day. I am very far from the ocean. I'm going to think up here is a vertical column that's in the water um, that supports from the, uh, the the bed of the ocean or the water in this lake, uh, the bed of the lake. And crib meaning something that surrounds or engulfs or, or it's concave to hold something. That's my guess. Yeah, I would say the crib. Okay. When we get to the construction, we can talk about, I'll tell you what I know, and then maybe we can figure it out. Yeah. But inside this pier that the lighthouse is sitting on top of, um, it has two rooms. The lower one is for coal burning and storage, and the upper one is for a workshop. So cool. fixin, the fixins. And this pier stops 23 feet above the lake. Wow. Okay. So the lighthouse is like 80 feet tall. There are seven floors in the tower, and right now it's powered by a solar-powered 12-inch Tideland Signal ML300 acrylic lens, which I looked up, and they are like they sell it online. It's kind of funny. How much is it? I don't know. I think you have to inquire for, uh, you know. You have to you ask get a quote. Afford. <laughs> get some quotes. So, so solar-powered, are there other panels on the pier then or on the tower? I know? think it's inside the lantern room to keep it safe. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. it's all windows, so it should do a pretty good job of taking in sunlight. I don't think I've ever seen a solar panel inside. Well, when I looked at pictures, there were no panels outside, but it's solar powered. That's really interesting. The lens that I'm talking about, it's like a cone shape. Mm -hmm. So there, I'm assuming light comes out from either all directions or it's rotating, but it never specifies. Even on the page where they sell it and you can get a quote. But this light has a range of 18 miles, which is pretty good. Uh, and it's fully automated now. Its current state is that is it is burnt and neglected and frequently coated in ice, blown to horizontal icicles. Wow. I'm thinking frozen where Olaf gets impaled. He's, huh, I've been impaled. <laughs> I think I've seen that once. Yeah, frozen? I mean, I've, that scene, I think I've seen frozen once. Maybe. It's one of my comfort once. movies. Yeah, I know, I know I've seen it once, I believe. Anyways... Frozen icicles that are sideways. Yeah, because we're in the middle of Lake Superior. It's like... Cold. The average in the winter is like seven. Fahrenheit? Yeah. Wow. It can get to negative 20, and that's without wind chill. And also 90 degrees, so it's like an even coating. That sounds of, horrible. I know. It's a terrible place. I'm sure the 90 degrees and the negative 20 are like the outliers, and they're like, it can be this cold and it can be this hot, because one time it was. <laughs> Into the history. Let's go. Joey, stop. You're ruining our podcast. It was fun the first time, but now it's just getting old. You want to come up? He wants his own microphone. 
Oh, good. We got Joey right no, up No, we got here. a cat. So why did we need this lighthouse is the first thing we'll talk about. Is because it's situated on top of Standard Rock, or also called, ah, almost lost Joey, <laughs> Standard Rock Reef. He's putting a little blip in our plans. So Standard Rock, it was named after Captain Charles C. Standard, which is why it's annoying when people say that it's standard. Mm -hmm. Captain Charles C. Standard mm -hmm. charted the hazard in 1835 in the vessel John Jacob Astor. wonder who it was named after. We're talking like vessels named Lily and uh, like Aurora Borealis. Fancy. And then he has Astor. the John Jacob Astor. It's obviously somebody's name. Maybe it's like his mentor. And he's like, I have my own vessel now. It's the Aster. <laughs> it's the John. kind of like the name. You like it? It's just pretty long. I think if it was John Jacob, that would be good. JJ Aster. I just imagined everyone, every time they announced the name of the ship or answered the question of the name of the ship, yeah. they just pronounced like, this is the is it John Jacob. Yeah. John Jacob Astor. Like you, John like, or some, Jacob some accent of the time. Astor. Yeah. Not like, not like a boxing match. <laughs> <laughs> John Jacob Astor. The ship. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look oh, up this ship. I didn't look this up. This is the John Jacob Astor. Anyway, that shouldn't have been such a long conversation because it all. was just a note, but. Uh, so the reef that we're talking about, which is actually important to the story, is around three quarters of a mile long. So it's not super long. Uh, it sometimes raises three feet above the water in some places if it's if the tide is low or whatever it's called mm -hmm. for a lake. And an average of 16 feet deep, which is still too shallow for like large vessels. So, so the reef is 16 feet under the water surface? Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. So it's like it's like a reef, but it's like an underwater mountain is the problem. So he charted it, and it was seldom seen because it's so far away from the shore, 25 miles from the closest point. Yeah. Not even remotely close to anywhere civilized. And so it was deeply dreaded by sailors because they had no idea where it was. Like, if you're in the middle of a lake, and it looks like an ocean on either side, and this one guy charted it one time but not very well then i mean it's not official it's not like by the lighthouse board yet yeah well i mean if you're 25 miles out and you have any problem where you're taking on water that's it's pretty bad you might not make it yeah everybody knew about it they just didn't really know where it was mm. the reef is really close to the track of all the vessels that run to the north side and western portion of lake superior which wasn't a huge problem in 1830s but when like cities started popping up and big towns and whatnot. It kind of got more important that this area was marked. More and more transport. Yes. And yeah, traffic. More trade, you know, the whatnots. So in 1849, records show that $1,000 was set aside for, quote, a floating bell at Standard Rock. But since this amount was insufficient for mooring a vessel, even getting a ship out there to put a bell, uh, the idea was abandoned. So wait, a thousand dollars was set aside to put a a buoy with a bell on it. Right. That's awesome. And they couldn't even charter a ship to bring it out there Couldn't for that it. cheap. Yeah. Like the, anybody, anytime I say money was set aside, it's always the lighthouse board, or on the federal level. Someone with a gavel. You would think someone would know how much it costs to charter a ship, in the time when the ship was like the only thing you could do. More than a thousand dollars, apparently. 
1866, the Lighthouse Board decided it should finally be documented, so it was listed as, quote, most serious danger to navigation in Lake Superior, end quote. So the weather out here, like I was mentioning, is just brutal, super cold, obviously very wet, and extremely windy because you're on the middle of a flat, a long flat surface. They kind of had to know if a lighthouse would even survive out here before they started building it. And so on March 2nd, 1867, they provided $10,000 to make a tiny day beacon just to see what kind of damage it was going to take. Uh, they'd be doing like a lot of tests on it to see how much ice it accumulated okay. and what the wind was like if something taller than this would like survive yeah. the wind. Lighthouse board specified a single wrought iron shaft, not less than one foot in diameter, surmounted by a cage that would be visible not less than five or six miles away. So it's just like a very toned down lighthouse that they were just going to test. I think it ended up being 18 feet tall. So wait, an iron rod? In the middle. It's just saying like... As support? or Because like... nobody would ever need to climb it, and so they're just saying... The iron rod in the middle should not be larger than like a certain diameter. That still sounds really expensive. Yeah, $10,000. They never said if that didn't cover it or not. So I'm sure they, well, I don't know. Also, six miles. Are we talking about seeing a light from six miles away or this physical structure? Is there a light in it? Yes, there is a light. Okay. So in June of 1868, so a year later, steam barge WM Cowie, uh, I don't know what WM stands for, but it's there. I highlighted it earlier to search. William Murray, I'm guessing. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, William Cowie arrived with the materials to make this tiny lighthouse, and it was fitted with a hoisting apparatus, living quarters, and a blacksmith shop. Wow. On the vessel. Over a month, the rock was leveled, like the part of the reef that the mini lighthouse was sitting on was leveled. And a stone conical mini lighthouse was built around an 18 and a half foot iron shaft topped with a six foot diameter spherical cage. So it probably looked a little funky, but it was just for testing. Function. Yeah. Function over beauty. So they wanted to run tests to see what kind of torture the lighthouse would be subjected to. And in 1873, that is five years of testing, which I think is a little bit excessive. Data. Data, data. The engineer. Data. In 73, they argued they should begin construction of the lighthouse because Spectacle Reef was nearly finished and the equipment used was almost available. Spectacle Reef was in Lake Huron. Hmm? It's 10 miles away from the nearest shore. Lots of similar conditions, uh, but was a relatively easy build in comparison. But all that is to say that the same equipment would be needed for standard rock And so they were saying, this equipment is about to be available for us to rent, and it's very close by. Mm -hmm. So we should start building now so that we can just go pick up this equipment and call it good. Yeah. So it wasn't until the year after that that the survey was completed, and a lighthouse is cleared to be built. Congress set aside $50,000 on March 3rd, 1877 to commence construction. And it's just like the episode that we looked at that we didn't post that they set aside an amount of money that is obviously not going to be enough. Yeah. I don't really know if maybe the system is that you set aside enough for the beginning of construction and then they get cleared for the next amount of money and all that. On June 1st, 1877, only three months after they cleared it and uh, set aside the money, 
The lighthouse tender Warrington left Detroit with two scows in tow, which are flat-bottomed barges mm. for like lifting stone and all of that. And they went to Scammons Harbor. I didn't look where that is, but I'm assuming it's on Lake Huron because they picked up equipment from Spectacle Reef Lighthouse construction after it was completed. Two weeks after they left Detroit, they show up at Huron Bay, where work began on a depot named Stannardsville. Uh (laughs) So that was cute. Um, That was 51 miles southwest of the reef and has all the quarters, offices, storage docks, and shops for the project support. Because they would do a lot of work for the lighthouse uh, off the reef. So crib construction started in July. Here it is, the stuff I don't really know what's going on. Crib construction started, and in August, they took the bottom layer of the crib out to the reef to fit it because the lighthouse was set on uneven reef. It was like 10 to 11 feet under the surface. Mm-hmm. And then it was it says, timber frame with iron plates, and then they fit it to the reef and then towed it back out uh, to the bay to like finish the first like layers of it. To weld and... I don't know, because it says it's made of timber with iron plates. Timber frame. Yeah. So the the frame is made of timber. You think it's like a ring? It's like a shell. Okay. That's my guess. Because they fill it with concrete later. Crib. This crib. Like a crib. With concrete. Like a, like a bowl. Well, how do they fill it with concrete if it's just a frame? No, the frame is Help wood. me! <laughs> so I'm really guessing, but I'm going to say it with certainty. Okay. That the frame was made of wood, so you build a frame that holds sheeting. The sheeting is metal. Okay. The sheeting is attached to the wood frame. To make something like a bowl, something like a a seashell. <gasps> wow. <laughs> and, I'm listening intently. But it's not level because the reef itself is not level. It's it's a varied terrain. So the bottom of this bowl crib is not actually just rounded. It's fit to sit on top of the reef. Mm. Totally guessing. And then they fill that with concrete. With confidence in concrete to, <laughs> to make it a solid platform on top of which they probably built their uh, to be lighthouse the pier and, and, <laughs> and, and such thank you that's my estimation yeah you are welcome. that's your guess so they towed it back out after building the frame with iron plates and then filled it with concrete so that it sunk and settled into the ground of course it's not my words somebody else's that's how one uh, puts a crib in the right. superior Everybody lake. knows. Everyone knows. That's what I did. <laughs> Sorry. So tired. So the first year of building was super rough, and only 61% of the time that was usable for construction... Uh, uh, sorry. Only 61% of time usable... No, what am I trying to say? 61% of the hours. Yeah, 61% of the available hours were actually used for construction because of storms. That's like, that's pretty bad. And later, I have this sheet that has the breakdown of all of the money that was used for this lighthouse. And it is like $90,000 for labor. And so all this time, I mean, they have people stowed away in Stannardsville just trying to work. Yeah. And I think they are probably out on these barges for a long time too. And it's like, you get there and there's so much ice that you're just like, well, let's turn around because we can't do any work today. So the, they can only also, they can only do construction from May to October because the winter was so bad and the lake would freeze 
so you can't get the sh- I mean, you could walk out there, but I saw someone on, when I was doing Google searches for how cold it gets mm-hmm. on the lake, I saw someone searched, I want to drive across the lake. How cold does it have to be? Dang. <laughs> I think someone said two degrees. Do people do that? Consistently. Like, that a, a, I don't know if that's like, like a, a thing. bucket list item or like a common thing. I don't know. I don't know. I've heard some, there. there's some really good motorcycle rides up there. Oh. Uh, I'm assuming that's warm weather. Yeah. Not across the lake, but not the two degrees. I guess it's a supposedly it's a really pretty area. Never been. You could drive right by this lighthouse. Twenty five miles <laughs> to shore. Construction started back up in May, and usually when the men returned in the spring to find, usually the men returned in spring to find they needed to make so many repairs before continuing that it was said sometimes they felt like they were repairing more than they were actually building. Oh wow. So the, sorry, so I'm away from the <laughs> microphone, petting the cat. So the off season, basically, so much destruction would happen from just the weather mm-hmm. on site, on the construction site, during the time they couldn't work, that they spent that time repairing, and then they could continue to build yes. it. <laughs> okay. Well, it's like ice build up. That sounds really There'd be expensive. like 30-foot boulders of ice, and they'd get there, and they'd have to break it all down, or that... There's ice on, like, ice sheets on the water moving against this structure. Yeah, that it would take out these iron plates that are on the outside. And During the fall of the first year, the quarry, right? Is that right? Quarry? Like a rock quarry? Yes. Opened on Huron Island to provide stone for ballast and concrete. At 4.30 a.m. August 4th, 1878, steamers Warrington and Ira Chappie... (laughs) And the Tuck Dudley started for the reef with the crib in tow. So we're going out there. It's exciting. I'm wondering if because the Warrington had like barracks and everything on it, that maybe they just had people out there May to October and they stayed there the whole time. I feel like that's a really long time to be isolated. Yeah, I, I don't know. I bet they went back and forth. It's not that far to travel by boat, especially on a big boat. Storms couldn't take you down. Yeah. So they. this is where it says, at this time is when they began filling its ballast pockets with concrete. The crib. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm sorry, I'm having the hardest time figuring out what this is. Well, it's like a, like a bowl. I don't know if it's a bowl because it's shaped like the pier. So it's like down a bucket Down on shape. the reef. So the bottom is shaped to the reef. And then right. it's like, like a cylinder. Yeah. Okay, so they filled, they made a, like a cylinder with wood and iron sheets and then filled it with concrete. Yeah. But then later it says that they removed the wooden pier. How did they remove it if it's concrete and iron? The, it's possible that the wood was on the outside and they built iron sheets into a cylinder and then filled that with concrete. And then just peeled the wood off later? Yeah. If the okay. wood was holding the iron in place during the, the pour, if you will, during the that concrete form. That would make form. sense. Like, like a concrete form, but the yeah. steel would stay. I had a really hard... And then if you, look up, if you look up a pier, crib pier, it just has like a wooden frame that's just... That's it. It's not like a place to put stuff. It's just wood. I had a hell of a time figuring it out. I am uneducated. You are educated, but not on this subject. Oh, yeah, sure. Be clear about that. So over two years, the found just the foundation pier was built inside the crib, and the diameter is 64 feet. Concrete 
encased in wrought iron cylinder, which I mentioned earlier. And they'd have stones from the quarry, 20 to 30 tons each. And they would let it sink down to the reef and then drill holes into the stone and 30 inches into the bedrock for iron drift bolts. Hmm. I don't know what those are, but... And they continued building this way until it was 20 feet above the water. And that's when they stopped with the pier. So May 24th, 1884, sorry, 1882, they returned to find the foundation pier and lower 18 feet of the tower were covered with ice boulders. And it took 15 men the rest of the month just to clear off the ice so they could continue working. That's incredible. Yeah. And there was a bunch of damage and it's just it was so a like shock. Using axes? Yeah. And p- like picking? Mm-hmm. Ice picks. In June, the spiral staircase and lantern room were replaced because all the ironwork came late, of course. I feel like this happened last time. Behind schedule. <laughs> yeah. And this allowed for the lens to be placed, which was second order and had a white flash every 30 seconds. Okay. Yeah. So it was lit for the first time, July 4th, Patriotic, 1882. Exciting. But construction didn't stop after they had lit the lighthouse because um, they had a lot of other stuff they wanted to add. And I think they were really behind schedule because this is like, what? How many years is this? Is this five years after it started? Yeah. That's a long time to be constructing a lighthouse. Yeah. I'm sure before the winter ended, they wanted to get a light up there. But for the 1883 season, they installed boat hoisting engines, places for sailboats to dock, and a lightning conductor. So those are important. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Uh, The removal of wooden protection pier was completed in September 7th, 1883. So that's uh, a little bit over a year after the first time it was lit. So the station's 10-inch steam whistles were housed inside the lighthouse (laughs) for the first six years. It's like, you guys are crazy. Those things are loud. Pretty exciting. That's, yeah. When did the steam whistles go off? They would set them off every like five minutes whenever fog was crazy. I know. That sounds awful. You won't be able to talk. I read a case at one point that the steam whistles broke or like one of the valves or something. And so the steam whistle was constant until they could fix it. (sighs) That's tough. That would have been a lot. I wonder if they had like cotton wads that could stuff in their ears. It's like when I was working on the motorcycle in the garage. Oh, yeah. Sirens started going off. There was nowhere to go. (laughs) (laughs) In an enclosed space. So the fog signal building was constructed in 88 uh, on the southeast of the pier. Steel plate. What is this? Oh, the building was steel plates riveted to a steel frame. And the main door of the lighthouse was accessed by a flight of open iron stairs from inside the fog signal building. So you wouldn't... Yeah. So... You... Yeah. So why? <laughs> I don't know. Just because... You know. Yeah. Because. That's... Yeah. Because they wanted that. After 240,000 tons of rock, iron, and steel, final cost was $305,000. Six times the budget? I know. Just That's why I'm wondering, more. like, there's got to be some sort of system. So I have this page that is a um, statement of expenses uh, for the construction of the lighthouse. And the labor alone was $90,000. In 1800s, I don't know how much money that is. But sounds like a lot. Sounds like a whole lot. Just to have the Warrington transporting stuff was $40,000. It's kind of beat up, so it's hard to read. That's a barge. Uh, yeah, that was the that was the lighthouse tender that was bringing oh, stuff back. Okay. Across. Yeah. Um, let's see. What's the most ex- other most expensive thing they had on here? 
Yeah, so the two most expensive things are labor and transportation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. La- labor's got to be up there. It's kind of crazy. Did you ever learn where they find these people to work on this? Is I think it... there are there are people that did construction on lighthouses because so many were being built around. So they traveled. Yeah. Probably. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here we go. So the first head keeper was John Pask, and he was the head at Sturgeon Point, which was another lake here on a lighthouse. Um, but there's higher pay at Standard, obviously, because it's in the middle of space. <laughs> a little cold, a little far. A little cold, a little far, a little bit windy. Um, the Pryor brothers took over head keeper title for 13 years. I think this John Pask guy uh, only lasted like one or two seasons at most. Mm. And then after that, the Pryor brothers, there were three of them, each served like almost five years. Total of 13 years with the Pryor brothers. How did the Pryor brothers get into that business? Like as a family? Well, the oldest one was there. And then the one below him would show up as an assistant keeper. And he would take over. So just formed a little family of standard rock people. Yeah. All of them got stationed on a new lighthouse after they served for so long. So... I'm assuming at least one of them did was a lighthouse keeper before this. I don't think anyone would start with Standard Rock because it's it's pretty far out there. Yeah. Pretty secluded. Pretty isolated. Yeah. Has, how do you know how many people were manning the lighthouse at once? Uh, four, and they'd have one offshore that everyone Off- would rotation. cycle. Yes. Yeah. Rotation. Seems like a sitcom. So this area was so secluded, they didn't even know that Theodore Roosevelt had been elected. In 1904 what? for five weeks. That's a pretty long time when they had newspapers out every morning. But how would they get a newspaper? And they didn't have like a telephone line coming all the way out to Standard Rock. Is that a sun-kissed? It's a crush? <clears throat> oh. Livewire Mountain Dew. Not sponsored. <laughs> Livewire Dew sparked with artificial orange flavor. Say it loud and proud. <laughs> Reminds me of being 14. Just the taste or artificial? <laughs> Just the bad parts. <laughs> Moving on. This lighthouse was known as a stag station, which is basically like you can't bring your families here. Like it's men only. Men only. Yeah. Single and they, they su- would suggest that you don't have a family if you're going to. That's why like young head keepers would be here is because they don't want you to have a family that you're wishing you were going back to. Right. Because they have some lots of instances where keepers would go on their their like week vacation once a month and they would go AWOL. They'd have three weeks on, one week off, if weather permitted. So the longest head keeper uh, like stint was Louis Wilkes. His assistant, like he had a long time assistant that stayed the same amount of time. But this was from nineteen thirty six to nineteen fifty six. So twenty years. Jeez. And the longest stint was ninety nine days because the weather was bad and no one could come pick him up for his week off in three months. Oh no. <laughs> but it, they said that no one has even come remotely close to ninety nine days. So he's a trooper. And he still came back after that. He didn't go AWOL. That was a long time. Yeah. What does AWOL stand for? Absent without official leave. Oh, there you go. And they add on, but without intent to desert. I think these guys had the intent to desert. Also, it was so lonely out there that one keeper was carried out in a straight jacket. Obviously, had lost his marbles. And uh, another radioed, quote, If a boat doesn't come and get me immediately, I will start swimming. End quote. <laughs> so just like, just a spattering of people. Last thing they ever said. That 
couldn't take it anymore and a lot of people who could at least last until their week off and then never came back yeah keepers call standard rock lighthouse the loneliest place in the world like if you look up the loneliest place in the world standard rock lighthouse comes up come on there's three guys there It'd be great it's super fun they can play uh cribbage First three seasons had four resignations and three transfers. So immediately. Jeez. <laughs> it was like, get tough, me out of here. Tough role. Keepers complained that the constant bad weather and waves made it impossible to keep the inside of the tower dry. So everything was so humid mm. and wet that when they came back from, you know, the winter being off, they would have to hang out their uh, mattresses from the lantern room to dry them because they were, they'd have to sleep on their little iron bed frames with no mattresses oh my for gosh. like the first week of being there. Paradise on that earth. It's pretty bad. Like should, when did they learn to cover them in plastic or something? <laughs> they didn't have plastic. They also complained that the rooms were shrinking from wall contraction and they didn't have any furniture. <laughs> what? Cause it was so, the lighthouse so was so isolated. small on the inside to fit on top of this pier that they just were like... Do you think the rooms were actually shrinking, or do you think that was a... I think they're exaggerating. A phenomena of isolation. Yeah, probably that. Some guy just wrote about it. One of the, the Coast Guard guys. The man. Yeah. The walls are shrinking. There's no furniture. <laughs> we don't have furniture. Let's see. So the biggest problem on this lighthouse was the ice, because the lighthouse was abandoned during the winter from December to March. And when they returned, there was at least... One to two feet of ice buildup on the entry door and like the lantern room and the foghorn. And they'd have to take sledgehammers and pickaxes to it just to get in the lighthouse in the first place. So these keepers travel all the way out here to be secluded for three weeks and they have to beat their way in. <laughs> chip, <laughs> ice like, chip their way in. We don't care that much about it. That's motivation. There must have been yeah. pretty good pay or something. Also, sometimes the ice would build up while the keepers were inside. And maintenance crews would have to come out and get... To get them out? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Couldn't even come outside. So this is where I put in, like, the note that a lot of keepers went AWOL after their first week, or their, after their week of vacation, or would refuse to return and be sent somewhere else, or accepted a court-martial. Yeah. Shifting gears, the reef was a hot spot for fishing. I think trout fishing. Yep. Excellent trout fishing. Uh, the record for largest fish caught in Michigan was here on the reef. Hey. By a teenager on a 12-pound line, and the fish was almost 62 pounds. Wow. <laughs> He's probably just out with his dad on a boat, just like, you want to do some trout fishing? <laughs> this is it 25 Whipping miles in. from shore? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did, so, did the lighthouse keepers fish? Yeah. I'm sure they did. That was listed as one of the perks of the lighthouse was that they had some really good some fish. good fish. Yeah. <laughs> We're having fish Hope for dinner. Hope you like trout. Fresh fish. Hamford Fish Company of Marquette was contracted to remove the keepers on November 26, 1904. This is the reason why I mentioned the fishing. Because even though they were contracted to go get the keepers, they decided they, the fishing there was too good and they would need to go fishing. So instead, <laughs> they secondhand hired the tug Ward to go pick them up. They subcontracted picking up these yeah. guys they're like we're actually going to use this to go fish so you should go pick these guys up but there was a like two week delay in towing barges and it compounded so the ward didn't pick them up until december 14th Oof. that's three weeks late and so by this time the four keepers had gone through all of their provisions 
and had started making a canvas sailboat to get back to shore. Lord of the Flies. This is in December, so it would have been suicide. Like, they knew they wouldn't have survived. They just no thought they shelter. were forgotten. Yeah, they just thought, like, nobody's coming, and it's December. Like, it's going to start freezing over, and we're, we're going to die yeah, here, so we might as get, well try. They were building a canvas raft. Yes. Is there a, a account of this, a story? Oh, or? yeah. Well, the Lighthouse Board wrote all about it. <laughs> I would love to learn more. That's crazy. They're probably like, shameful. Never again will the Hamford Fish Company of Marquette get contracted. <laughs> they were busy fishing. <laughs> Sorry. Like, oh, this is a great time for fishing. We're going to actually uh, not do that. Gone fishing. Sorry. Who gives a crap about those guys? <laughs> when they got there, the weather was so rough that the boat couldn't approach the lighthouse to grab them. And so even after all of this, they had to climb down to a rope and row to the tug. And they got soaked in water, obviously, because the waves are too big for a giant tugboat to come pick them up, that their clothes froze solid on their bodies. They almost died anyways. Yeah. They're like, you're still going to have to get in the water. (laughs) Those guys did not come back. Ain't a chance. They did. There's no way. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, no, you're right. All of them quit except for Keeper Edwards. Yeah, there's... He stuck around for oh, a while. you didn't pick me up for three extra months? When you weeks. did show up... And it oh, ran out of food. Almost starved to death. Thought I was going to die on the open frozen... Yeah. Are we still recording? Just making sure. Yes. I have PTSD. Still recording. <laughs> so... All right, so these, we're jumping ahead. These guys almost died. Froze... Clothes froze. Clothes froze to bodies. Yes. And All only the quit. head keeper came yes. back? Yes, head All keeper quit. came back. Yeah, I'd quit too. He was like, I actually had a lot of responsibility during those weeks. I'd like to come back. It was the adventure of my lifetime. (laughs) I think my career is expanding. So in 1913, the intensity of the bulb was increased from 59,000 candle power to 330,000 candle power using an incandescent oil vapor illuminant. That's just basically when everyone stopped using oil lamps and instead got the, the oil vapor. The same year, the steam whistles were replaced with electric. Awesome. No more boilers. Yeah, just electric compressors. Yeah. So on November 6, 1921, a flock of ducks collided with the lantern room. (laughs) Flock of ducks. And it destroyed two upper panes and damaged the lens and uh, clock room. So they needed to do some maintenance there. And also, this was November... And so I believe what happened was it was right after the um, the keepers had left. And so nobody was coming to check on this for a very long time. And when they came back, because those panes were broken, the ice had come in and the lantern had to be replaced. Because like even though the damage was minimal from the birds flying in, by then the ice had done its work and needed to be replaced. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of maintenance this there. This is a flock of ducks? Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen damage or heard of damage from a flock of ducks. It must have been like foggy. Like, I think it was. It must it was... have been hall and quack. <laughs> <laughs> the moment of facial expressions where we're like, ooh, not good. <laughs> Just go ahead and cut that. They must have been moving really quick. Go ahead and cut that. 1922, they returned and found that most of the iron sheeting had also been torn away by ice and storms. So just like... They're beacon really? records. <laughs> no! Dad jokes! All right. What happened to the sheeting? It was torn off by ice, so like the banging yeah. of the ice sheets. 
And so they added a new layer of protection, which was 18 feet above the lake surface with iron and the rest, just the concrete. So just another ring around the protection. Uh, yeah, the protection pier. While they were there, they also installed a radio telephone. Yay. Radio. Yeah. Marquette Lighthouse uh, would radio standard frequently concerned for their con- mental condition and uh, would read them the paper every morning and just like chat with them. Oh, be a fun job. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of nice is that these, these keepers who are on dry land and get to have families and stuff would spend time every morning calling Standard Rock people. I'm sure the people who worked in the Marquette Lighthouse were people that had also been stationed at some point in Standard. Yeah. Or knew what it was like. Yeah. At some point. So jumping ahead, 1944, they electrified the lighthouse with a 500-watt light bulb, generators, and batteries. But they still had keepers. It wasn't automated. It just had electricity. 1944? That's how long it took? Yeah. Okay. We had we had nukes by then. So <laughs> they're like, standard oh, is a we step forgot behind. about standard out there. <laughs> you can't even see it. Send them a battery. Right hey, sailors, it's starting to heat up outside, and that means going to the pool, kayaking, hitting the beach, or just lounging around and enjoying the weather. Tidewaters are your perfect foot companion for all of these activities this summer. Like stepping on a cloud, these sandals are made with high-density yoga mats that mold perfectly to your feet, which fits them right into whatever your schedule holds, whether that be exploring, dinner dates, swimming, you name it. Aside from the super cute patterns you can choose from, like animal print, sailboats, dogs, fruits, floral, and many more, you also get amazing lightweight material that's perfect for traveling or just being on the go. The best part is there's a discount for teachers all year round. As my podcast listeners, you can use the code THELOWDOWN for 20% off your order. Follow the link in my show notes to get your own. And stay tuned, little sailors, as I'll be doing a giveaway and a real review of these sandals in my next episode. So here we go. This is where the story is, and it marks the end of... Uh, keepers staying at the lighthouse so the worst tragedy to have happened at the lighthouse it's also the reason why i mentioned burnt at the very beginning (laughs) so june 16th 1961 four men were assigned to the lighthouse william maxwell walter scobby richard horn and oscar daniels and daniels was just there to work on the automation of the light since they were thinking this would probably be the last year that they would man the lighthouse Mm -hmm. because it was just like this is ridiculous. Like, why why are we... We need to get this one automated as fast as possible just to stop having to ship people out here, people that don't want to be there. Because at this point, it's run by the Coast Guard. This place ends up being where they put people that really don't want to be here. No one, no one volunteers to be on Standard Rock. So. so Daniels was just there for automation of the light. He wasn't a keeper or anything. Uh, at 9.30 p.m., over 1,000 gallons of gasoline in the engine house for the generators exploded. Oh, my gosh. I know. And the explosion ignited propane tanks and the coal bunker that was under the pier. So it was just, like, massive explosion. There's our other cat, Bo. Hi, Bo. The flames were so hot that the limestone near the engine room melted, which I didn't know was a thing. I'm sure everything can melt, but stone, I feel yeah. like, just won't succumb to anything. I mean, limestone's pretty soft, but hot that's hot 
The initial explosion swept through the lower part of the tower and the smoke built up through it like a chimney because it was all connected. Uh, so the lighthouse became a chimney for all of this. Like, it's an oven. The only entrance and exit was blocked by these flames. So on watch, Maxwell was killed immediately by the blast. They have no idea where no he was problem. or what happened to him, but they think that he was probably either burned up in the fire because it was so hot or he was blasted off the pier and kind of just lost. Daniel's... I'm so sorry. This is blowing my mind. A thousand gallons of gasoline yeah. exploded. Mm-hmm. What, what caused that fire? Uh, they don't know. Okay. So a thousand gasoline... <laughs> okay. Oh, so... my goodness. A thousand <laughs> gallons of gasoline exploded spontaneously. Mm-hmm. We don't really know. And then a coal fire was lit after that explosion. Yeah, by the flames. And they stored the coal and the gasoline at the base of this tower. So the engine room was separate. It was built on. But the coal was underneath the tower. And that burned until they came and put it out. Oh like weeks goodness. later. Oh. So, and propane tanks, wherever they put those babies, those were... <laughs> they popped too. Yeah. Daniels, who was the one that was here just for automation, was standing in the door to the pier when the explosion happened. And so he just got horrible burns to, like, the whole front side of his body. Horn was blown off of his bunk as he was sleeping. And Scobby was thrown through the air, is what he said. But neither of them were injured. So, excellent. Wow. So we have two, two people who are not injured. One who is incinerated and another who is half incinerated. <laughs> Scobby and Horn dropped nearly 20 feet from the tower to escape the flames and the smoke because the door was covered by the fire and the smoke was coming through so they couldn't stay in there. So they had to go outside. When was this? When did I say this was? Through a window? June. Or? Okay, so it's not super cold. Huh? Yeah, through a window. Uh, oh. Daniels was already out there, so they, he didn't have to jump, which is good because he was already in bad shape. <laughs> so they were confident of a quick rescue because... They wouldn't be radioing, radioing in in the morning. Yeah, there was a huge explosion. Yeah, and someone would notice uh, that the light was not working. But nobody reported that, and nobody was suspicious about no radio checks. So three days after this explosion happens, the Coast Guard cutter Woodrush is just puttering along to its scheduled visit, and they see this tower of smoke happening billowing yes and so they hurry over there and find the three are huddled under an old tarp on the pier surviving on two cans of beans <laughs> oh it's like you can't go in the tower so like i don't even know how they got these two cans of beans it's just continuing to yeah, burn just sitting out there in the pier it doesn't have like a railing or anything it's just like a concrete yeah like a disc they're yeah. just sitting on exposed. exposed so horn said of the moment it was like seeing god when the wood rush showed up scobby and i probably could have made it longer but i don't know about daniels <laughs> daniels Dude, is the one that burned. was burned yeah. yeah baked yeah so daniels was rushed back to the hospital and Woodrush returned to extinguish the flames that were still going in the coal room the keepers believe maxwell was either burned up in the fire or blown over the pier um, but they never found them and the cause of the explosion was never discovered they suspect it was probably just human error or like a spark in the engine room or something. Maxwell might have done it. Yeah. On accident or on If he purpose. was in there, yeah. he'd definitely be not even. He became one with the tower. It's sad there's no horrors or um, horror stories of this. 
No haunted no, stories. No horror stories. <laughs> this is pretty mild. Nothing bad has ever <laughs> happened there. Oh, yeah. No big deal. No hauntings that we know of. But also, nobody ever went back to the tower after that. So, Maxwell Why? could still be there. Why did they put out the fire? I think they did some... People still have to go out there to do maintenance every once in a while. So, um, I think they wanted to check the foundation to see if it was still uh, okay yeah. <laughs> for people. Yeah. But this was the last watch where they had keepers on the lighthouse. And it was really bothered other lighthouse keepers that the last watch was stood but not finished it was like just very shameful that and very bad luck that this lighthouse basically didn't have a last watch Uh, it's like fine you go out there blame them you go fine there's no heating now except for the torched walls (laughs) just hang out for you just put your hands against the wall and warm up that way remains of maxwell somewhere So the Fresnel lens was dismantled and packed up after that winter and promptly lost. Somebody has that. <laughs> well, someone absolutely I, I has kn- that. They know where it is now, but oh. just for thirty years, the Coast Guard have no record of where it was, and it wasn't found. Thirty years. Oops. Nineteen ninety nine, Fred Stonehouse, who was the president of Marquette Maritime Museum, received an anonymous notice. Anonymous. Anonymous. Anonymous notice. That the lens was likely at a Coast Guard warehouse in Maryland. Likely? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's there. Who said this? Maybe it's not. He's like, mm, I'm, it's anonymous. And also I suspect that possibly maybe there is a Fresnel lens hanging out in a basement of this Coast Guard. Six large wooden crates is what he found that were labeled Sioux St. Marie Coast Guard Base. And then tiny print that was faded underneath that said Standard Rock Lens. <laughs> what was the system for marking the boxes even that the print was so small that originally he saw these boxes and passed over them because it just had like no some way. coast guard message on it and then he's like oh you see standard rock i, I would... mean i there's two possibilities i can think of one is the government is terrible at many things and so they just <laughs> didn't know where it was uh it's possible i think somebody had it i think it was either bribed or stolen or bought I think so and too. someone had it as a personal, this is so, so cool. I'm going to put it in my bedroom. It's going to be sweet. Like a flag or like a stop sign on the wall. Yeah. It's illegal, <laughs> yeah, but it's super that. cool. Um, and then they, after a time, they decided, I, you know, I'm moving into a small house. I can't have Nursing this home. lens. And they're the anonymous person that was like, I think it I may think I have put it ended back. up in this basement. Potentially. Yeah. So the artifact had been found. Now on display at the museum, the Marquette Maritime Museum, uh, with the six-ton pedestal that was brought from the lighthouse a year later. So they left the pedestal over at the lighthouse for 30 years. That's 12,000 pounds. They're like, we didn't want to do that. (laughs) They found the lens and they're like, oh man, we got to go haul that thing over here. Got to go back to the devil's cigarette. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking, the devil's lighter? Have you seen that before? No. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can look it up. I think I think it's in the desert somewhere, and it's a natural gas. Oh. Uh, just like a well. Yeah, it's that's, just like a hole, and it's like always on fire. Yeah. Well, it's it has to be because if it's not, enough gas could build up to where it explodes. Because oh. the gas and air mixture. Anyways, I think so. I'm pretty sure someone lit it like with a with a uh, flare or something intentionally yeah. to keep it burning. Anyways, devil's cigarette. That's pretty good. 
It's a good joke. The Frana lens is 10 feet tall, which is one of the largest lenses they use in the Great Lakes. There's only five of them that are of that size. So after the Fresnel lens was taken apart 30 years earlier, mm-hmm. they went from 1.4 million candle power to 3,000. This like acrylic lens I was talking about, the solar powered one is only 3,000 candle power. So you see it when you hit it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Standard Rock is rarely visited now and currently owned by the Superior Watershed Partnership, which, quote, plans to expand Greta Lake's climate research at the lighthouse and involve the Great Lakes Conservation Corps in historic renovation projects, end quote. What does that mean? They're just going to uh, use it for research, like climate for, testing. Okay. Yeah. So because yeah. I mean, it's, been done before. It's, it's in a good spot for yeah. that. So I think a lot of people wanted it. They had it. It was like up on an auction or something. I don't know how much it was sold for or if it was sold or donated or something. Oh, my. It's still in use with a battery powered optic that I was talking about. Battery powered that's replenished by solar uh, yeah. panels. Charged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And an NOAA weather station i don't know what noaa is let me look yeah i don't think i've heard that before it's just uh it's not telling me what the acronym is for it just says now it says noaa weather radio nwr so like the noaa is its own letter in this it's like a nesting doll of acronyms (laughs) it just says nationwide network of radio stations broadcasting continuous weather information Hmm. so on a clear day from the lantern room you can see the mountains on Kiwina Peninsula. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's probably like Native American. I don't know how to pronounce it. To the west, and here on mountains to the southwest and to the north, the dreaded shoal sparkles. I'm painting a picture for what it looks like from the lighthouse that nobody can be at. I thought you were saying the name was Shoal Sparkles. Oh no. Shoal cool. Sparkles. Actually, you can visit this lighthouse, but you can't get on the pier. It's 23 feet above, so you'd have to climb it. And you can take a, you can charter a boat or a small plane to go and visit the lighthouse, but people don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's no interest or? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I would. I'm sure someone's going out there. There's got to be people like me out there. They have sailing lessons in Kansas. I mean, there's there's people out there. uh, Actually, that's two notes I need to mention. One is I'm going to be taking sailing lessons. Yeehaw. Cross it off my bucket list. Second, say second is that I am going to be a US LHS member. All you have to do is pay, and <laughs> there it is. Earned it. But they send you like a patch that makes you like an official member. And you can also, if you go up a tier, then you also get a custom ornament during Christmas. I'm going to keep calling it the USLS. I like that better. You can't do that because I'm about to be a board member. USLHS. Just have the pause. USLHS. But that's the end of my episode. Episode four completed. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah, I uh, my website is having some technical difficulties, so you can't see my references. So I'm going to put them again into the show notes uh, along with the link to my website and also the links to the ads that we had on the episode today so thank you to upcoming and also tidewater sandals which were my sponsors for this episode that's right what's the website called podpage.com slash the lighthouse lowdown okay i thought it was like the lighthouse uh, stained glass art that's separate i have a 
my small business is on Instagram called The Lighthouse. Or no. <laughs> I'm getting confused by all my hobbies. There's a lot of lighthouses going on. Lighthouse Beach Art. Lighthouse Beach Art. On Etsy and Instagram in case anyone wants to take a look at stained my stained glass. glass stuff pretty sweet and that's all i've got so please subscribe to my channel so you can hear about our next episode thanks for joining bye wait that's not how i end it i say uh and join us next time on the lighthouse lowdown and then it goes do 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 do